tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired. I'm Brett Terpstra here with Christina Warren. How's it going, Christina? It's going pretty good. How are you, Brett? I I I'm I'm getting so good at these intros that it's almost boring now. <laughs> right. You're like feeling like I need to mess it up so that it can feel normal. I'm I'm sometimes when I'm more scattered, it like I'll think the words through in my head, but then they'll come out in a completely different order. It's very right. flustering when that happens, which I believe leads to that's just good radio, you know? Agreed. It is. It's just good radio. <laughs> so so we have this topic. Uh I do you do you have any health corner updates? I don't have any health corner updates. I was going to ask you because, yeah, we have a topic that we've punted for like four weeks that we have to get to, but we have to also start with our like Brett slash Christina's health corner stuff. Yeah, like our core segments. That is our core segment. That and the who did Christina piss off this week segment. Totally, which um, I don't think is anybody. So, And I don't really have a, a, like my sleep has settled down. I haven't like that whole like manic cycle a week thing chilled out haven't had one since we last talked uh my sleep has been decent i've been getting like seven hours a night which is good it's it's enough to get through but i'm definitely more uh relaxed and less anxious if i sleep for eight to eight and a half hours a night Interesting. So I'm just on the cusp of being like tired all day. Hence the name of the show. It's it's true. It's true. Except <laughs> I'm I'm like I'm just tired, not overtired. We'll get so there. Tired. I'll keep we'll trying. Get there. Um yeah, so so uh this topic we've been punting on because it's not like uh it's it's not an inflammatory or divisive topic for most people, and it's it's not the most exciting thing we've had to talk about over the last few months. But no. it is something that you have invested some time in. So let's talk about the state of e-ink tablets. Yes, it's something I've invested not just time but money in. Uh, now, obviously, that could be a lot of things that I've invested money in because, <laughs> as we've discussed before, that's how I've been dealing with the whole last year is just to blithely buy things. Um, I don't eat my feelings. I buy them. So um, I'm not sure what's more unhealthy, to be totally honest. Uh, on your credit anyway, card bill. I mean, yeah, but like I don't have any debt, so it's – I don't know. Um I also don't have a house, so you know it, it, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, so e-ink tablets. So this is an interesting thing. I hadn't really thought about the state of of e-ink tablets in a really long time. And a couple of years ago, I guess close to four years ago now, a tablet called the Remarkable came out, and it, along with another tablet from Sony, were kind of this next wave of e-ink tablets that were more than just, um, and, and e-ink for, for, uh, listeners who might not be aware is the technology that basically it's what Kindle uses and other e-readers. And it is a fairly low refresh display, although they're getting faster that lets you have a more paper-like experience. So it's really crisp. It's very readable, um, especially in sunlight or direct light. Although some of these, um, tablets like the, the Kindle, um, uh, uh, paper light and, or paper white rather, and, 
the Oasis and and other um, uh, uh, I think like Kobu has a couple like have front lights too, so you can read them in the dark. But the whole idea is that they're easy on your eyes, they're crisp and high resolution, and they have really good battery life. And so a lot of people really prefer them to like reading on a phone or an iPad because the screen is better on your eyes. But there's this secondary kind of market for e-ink other than just readers, which is for like note-taking tablets. So a company called Remarkable, I think they're Swedish, they might be Finnish, but they're, or they're based in Europe, um, came out with something about four years ago called the Remarkable One. Sony also had a tablet, and these were fairly large, like 10-inch tablets that would actually let you write on them. And then the whole idea was to kind of recreate the writing on paper feeling. So really low latency using e-ink so that the idea would be you could write just like you were writing on paper, but it's digital. You could use OCR to convert your handwritten notes to text or to search things. And, um, you know, you could annotate, uh, like, like PDFs and, and stuff like that. So I was always sort of interested in the remarkable tablet when that first came out, but it was really expensive. It had some, um, missing features. I just didn't quite know if I wanted to make the investment. So actually in 2018, I wound up getting a, um, what did I get? I, I got an iPad pro 11 inch instead with the Apple pencil, which was more expensive, but I was like, you know what? That's going to be a better device for me. Fast forward to last year, uh, 2020, it was March, um, remarkable announced their remarkable two tablet. And they were like, it's going to be sleeker. It has better battery life. It has kind of an updated screen. It has even lower latency and it's going to be out in like, I think we first were saying June. And so I pre-ordered one. And, um, it didn't come out in June. It didn't come out in July. It didn't come out in August. It didn't come out in September. It didn't come out in October. I wound up finally getting it. I think like the first week of November. So this was now, you know, more than six months since I'd, I pre-ordered it. Um, and at that point, you know, like I'd already paid for it. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I'd put it on the credit card. I'd already paid it off. I, it was kind of like, okay, whatever, I'll get this thing. And I got it and I liked it but it's fairly limited in some of the stuff you can do for it there. Um, it's really designed primarily as a single task device. So it's really designed for people who really take a lot of notes and really want to recreate that like handwriting on paper experience. Yeah. You can, you can read PDFs or, or EPUBs on it. It has, you know, a pretty terrible e-reader built into it. Yeah. You can kind of transfer other documents in and out, but it's really designed to be, like a note-taking device. Like that's really what it's about. And they ha they they try to have like a very Apple-like experience. Um, but they've been like advertising themselves all over Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And so they've been pretty popular from what I can understand. Um, I think that they're like, if you try to order from the Remarkable 2 now, it's a couple weeks out to get an order, but they're not, it's not like a, a you know, uh, the, the month, like the months long waits that it was. But when I got the, by the time I got the Remarkable 2, another device had come out called the um, Books, um, the Onyx Books Note Air. And this is um, Onyx uh, or, or Books, uh, I, they, I think Books is the, is the device name and then Onyx is the brand name, is a Chinese company and they use e-ink, but rather than using kind of a customized Linux kernel, which is what Remarkable uses, they are actually using Android as a base. And they um, 
have many of the same features as the Remarkable, but because it uses Android, you can use other Android apps with it too. So you can sideload the Kindle app or the Kobo app or Audible or, you know, other um, applications. So you can do more things with it. You can SSH into it more easily. You can transfer stuff to Dropbox or, or OneDrive or, or whatever more easily, but it also has built-in writing functionality so that you can do like the, the OCR and the um, note-taking stuff and, and transfer things over. And so they launched like literally right as the Remarkable 2 was, I was getting, they launched um, the um, Onyx Books Note Air. And that was priced about the same as the Remarkable 2 tablet, actually a little bit less, I think, um, once all kind of the accessories were involved. But on the face of it, a more powerful device. And so I went ahead and I ordered that one too. Of course you did. And right. So I got that one and then Onyx actually reached out to me and they sent me the, um, books max Lumi, which is very similar to the note air, except it is a 13 inch device rather than 10 inches. So it's really big and it's um, more powerful. Like it's, it's got more Ram. It's got a, you know, a faster processor and they sent that to me. And so I've been reviewing that. And, um, I've also been reviewing, you know, the, the books note air and the remarkable tube, which I purchased. And, um, you know, I, I, I talked a little bit about this on rocket, but I can talk more in depth about it here. And I'd love like you to ask me questions and, and things that, you know, you would want to know about this if you're interested at all. But, um, this is a really niche product area, like, but, it's also kind of cool. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like there's something like the latency, um, on the remarkable Two. the thing I'll say about it is, is that although I think the software is limited and kind of buggy and not really as robust as it should be, like it, the hardware is really good, but it's really let down by the software. And I, I don't think they've invested enough in the software. Um, but the experience of writing on it is to use a pun remarkable. Like it, it is, a better experience than writing with my iPad pro. Like, so it does, it does feel like writing on paper. Are you a person who writes on paper? Typically no, but I do have to take notes and I do like the idea of sometimes maybe curbing my ADHD to be totally honest by doing more note taking stuff. Huh. And typically the reason I don't write on paper is because I don't then want to have to like convert it into something that I can use digitally. Like that's my big thing, right? Is right. that, I'm going to need to access whatever I'm writing on paper, like digitally. So I used to have a bunch of um, moleskins and other stuff and, and like, um, and jot calendars and planners and things like that. And I really liked the idea, but I was like, I can't access this, you know, anyway. And, and I, uh, over the years I've like looked at things like there was like a pen that would sync with Evernote Yeah, and, I remember you that. know, yeah. And, and, and stuff like that. And like and that dotted you know, paper that you could like, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, that was okay, but you know, like that still kind of requires a, a whole other kind of level of, I don't know, like for me, I'm such a, a digital, um, person that, uh, I like the act of writing and I think it's important for me as bad as my handwriting is, but, and I think it can be better for my, for my memory and for my attention span, but I like need it digitized. Yeah, I do buy that the act of writing on its own, just like handwriting something out makes you remember it more than 
typing it and way more than just listening to it. Like for me, that's true, but I hate writing so much. Like I don't write, I write so little that my hand cramps just signing my name. Like yeah. my hand is so not used to writing. So yeah, that's how I am too. That's how I am too. So it's it's been like a, a an interesting, um, I guess, journey to have to kind of teach myself to write again, if that makes any sense. So how does the something like the remarkable, how does it solve the uh, so like I, I had a bunch of moleskins and I was pretty good for a while about uh, back when I had like client meetings and stuff, if I just scribbled on uh, notepad while the meeting was happening, I would remember the meeting better. But yep. I would get annoyed that I couldn't search. So I started using like I bought a, it, it was made by Moleskin, but it was really just a folder and it could hold index cards. So I would use one index card per meeting and oh, that's smart. then scan that index card when I got back and I'd put it in Evernote, which then would make my handwriting moderately searchable. Um, like the lack of searchability is what killed Moleskins for me. Does the Remarkable allow does it OCR and search your text? Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the books does a better job than the remarkable does, but yeah, they both do it. Um, I like the books better to be totally honest. Uh, I think the remarkable is like one of those things where they have a really good, like experience from kind of like the factory onward. Um, and part of me would kind of want to root for them to be like, Oh, you know, they're, they, they, they've, you know, kind of pioneered a lot of this stuff, but, but to be totally honest, the, the book stuff has done a better job with it. Um, but yeah, they both do that. And, and in fact, the book stuff can even do like offline OCR stuff. You have to be connected to the internet to do the OCR and the search stuff on, um, the, uh, remarkable too, but yeah, it'll let you search that stuff, which is really, really nice. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm using it. The downside with both of them, um, is that if you use an app like OneNote or Evernote or something, like you can't integrate directly into that without importing those notes into you know, one of those systems, um, even though the, the books that the note air and the max Lumi both work with Android, those, uh, note taking applications have not been optimized in any way, shape or form for e-ink. So you cannot use those apps themselves to take notes. So if that's what you want, like that's not going to happen. You are really better off with an iPad or using, um, like if, if you're a windows user using, you know, um, one of the pen, um, you know, systems like a surface or something, which works really well with OneNote. But you, what you can do is you can import like as a PDF or as something else, you know, the file into your OneNote notebook and then you can search it. So you can still work with it that way. It's just not one of those things where like you can open up a OneNote, you know, page and start writing. You're going to open up a page in another app and then, you know, later like import it so that you can have access to it. You know what would bowl me over and tickle me pink? What's that? And would actually make me buy one of these just for the novelty of it. If it could uh, store markdown versions of my handwritten notes in Dropbox where like, I know. one writer and NB Ultra could access them. I know. I know. And and that from what I from what I can tell, at least so far, there's been no like conversion to markdown, although on both of them, I think it might be slightly easier on the remarkable because at least ostensibly their stuff is more open source. Although, you know, well, if a PDF, how... if a PDF is saved with an OCR layer, uh, with searchable yeah. text, 
I have tools that can convert that to Markdown. So okay. if it were stored, if like those PDFs were stored in some kind of accessible sync system, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, OneDrive yep. or Google Drive or Dropbox, yep. somewhere that like Hazel could pick up these PDFs, I could I could pull the Markdown text out and put it into my very plain text notes. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that with the books. So we might actually want to try that. What what I could do is I could um, give you access to um, a folder and you could like test it just to see if if it'll do what you need it to do. I want access to your diary. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be so bored by most of the notes that I take. Dear but, diary. Um, dear diary. I had to podcast with Brett today. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> he is the worst. Oh my God. Gag me with a spoon. There is, um, there's this guy on YouTube. Um, his name is, um, um, uh, Vuya and, and he does this thing called, um, my deep guide. And he does very in-depth like comparisons and like breakdowns about how all of these things work. And so if you want to know everything about what the latency is, like he has cameras set up to capture like every millisecond of like what it looks like when you're like, you know, putting the the, the pen down to the screen. If you want to know like how the different software features work, like he has all of that stuff. So I've, we've got a link to, to him um, down uh, in our show notes. Um, he's great. Um, I do not have that kind of time to be totally honest. Uh, but I I did enjoy like when I was waiting for my things to arrive, um, I did watch his videos and I got a lot out of it from them. Um, it's cool, though, because you can create like templates and it's not as easy as it, as it should be. Again, the remarkable I hate to like I'm not trying to dog on it because I spent a lot of money on it and I might sell it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But like it's a really nice piece of hardware. It's just the software is not there. Whereas the the book stuff is really nice. And, and the Max Lumi and the Node Air are essentially the same device. It's just the Max Lumi is gigantic and, and the, the Note Air is, is like, you know, 10 inches. So it's basically kind of the difference between an iPad um, uh, Pro 13 and an iPad Pro 11. The one nice thing about the bigger size, I will say, is that you can view a PDF without any sort of like having to reframe or move anything at all, like for technical papers or stuff. Like it's going to basically be one-to-one on the screen, which is really nice. If you're looking at like manuals or, or technical papers or other sorts of documents, like it's really, really nice. So if you're somebody who annotates a lot and reads a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, the bigger, uh, screen is really, really nice for that. Um, I, th I find for my own use cases, the smaller screen probably is a little bit better just because, um, the, the big size would certainly make it less portable, although who's traveling now anyway, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. But, um, but the, but the Max Lumi is, is nice. And the, the screens, like I will say there is like refresh and like latency things that like you can use at least on the, um, on the books devices. And, and I think people have created hacks to do this on the remarkable as well. People have created like second screen sort of experiences where they can either, um, broadcast their screen from those tablets, you know, to their computer, or they could use it as a secondary monitor. You can do that. It's not a great experience. It's going to have kind of a slower refresh thing. Like, you know, these, these things are a lot faster than they used to be, but it's still not an LCD display. You know what I mean? Like the refresh is not yeah. there, but for, you know, for people who are primarily dealing with notes or if you draw and I don't draw, but if you draw, 
um, people seem to like them. The, the pens are like, you know, they, they use like Wacom technology. And so they have multiple pressure points and you can, you know, use different, like if you buy different nibs, it can give you a different feel or experience and like they're pressure sensitive and the software has different types of brush styles and stuff. So you can, you can do pretty advanced stuff. Um, like I would say that if you're looking for like a, an all around device, an iPad is still going to be better. Right. But if you're somebody who takes a lot of notes, likes that experience, annotates a lot, um, is looking for another toy to kind of like geek out with, they're definitely worth a look. And they're also, there's been some movement in e-ink, uh, in color e-ink readers, um, which uh, is getting exciting. And so um, I think I'm going to be getting some of those into review uh, soon. So I'll have more updates on that because that actually is kind of an interesting thing, like especially Why? for people who might, people who want to read manga, people who want to do. Oh. Okay, other so stuff. these do work as readers as well. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. In what, like I, in what ecosystem? Like, um, I, so, so, so the books you could do it with anything. Like, it literally has an easy way for you to install Google Play, so you could install, and it has Bluetooth and stuff built in. So, like, I have Audible and I have Kindle on it, but I could also have stuff in it from, you know, Kobu or, um, I don't think Barnes Noble has, I don't know if they have a reader anymore, but any of those, um, cool. if you're buying stuff from iBooks, I don't know. There's probably is a way iBooks to remove still the gear around. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it is called books. I don't know. I've never, I haven't bought anything from it in a decade. I buy everything from Kindle. Yeah. Um, I gave up on, on the iBook store a long time ago. Same, same. I, I still I, have I'm, books for sale there. If anyone's looking. Right. Buy them. Right. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not what I use. I use, I use Kindle. Kindle won that. Um, you, if you want to use that on the remarkable, you would need to strip the DRM and then import them in. But on the books, it's like a completely seamless native process. They even have like an app store that comes installed on it that has an older version of the Kindle app that you can install, but like, it's very easy to install Google play services and install the latest version of the Kindle app. And it'll work just like any other Kindle you've ever had, um, which is which is great. Can I tell you where the iBook store failed me? Yes, please. So the iBook store, when you when you're an iBooks author, it lets you embed HTML. Right. Uh, interactive HTML. So I got excited about this idea. I, with my ex-wife, wrote a children's book and my very talented brother illustrated it. Uh, and the goal, like the illustrations were all done in, in pieces on paper, but in pieces so that I can make a parallax, uh, display of each illustration. So as you tilted the iPad, it would it, like, it moved as if it were three dimensional and it was really cool in prototype. But when I got into actually building it in iBooks author, the way that they handle embedded HTML made it a horrible experience. And I'm still sitting on a pile of great illustrations and not too bad of a story. Uh, I, if a publisher ever approached me, I would just flatten them and, and we would make a print book out of it. But I'm not going to go shop it around because I felt like my, my dream of the kind of interactive children's book kind of died there. That's a shame. Yeah, I've heard a lot, and I think they actually have retired the the ebook or iBooks author um, app, and I think now they're like, just use Pages, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which, 
you know. Yeah, I mean, their stuff for like educational text, they did, they they put all their eggs into the uh, educational textbook kind of idea. Like that was yep, where all did. of their innovation went. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that it ever caught on. Uh, I don't think that it did. Um, I think that, I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they put all their eggs in that basket. It, it, I'm sure that the... Um, was it the DOJ? I can't remember what agency it was, but they had to settle the the price fixing lawsuit. Do you remember that? No. Yeah. So Apple was accused of price fixing. Basically, um, they wanted to have the prices be a, a like a minimum price, uh, which was higher, basically, I guess, than maybe what like Amazon or some other places were selling. And they were accused of, I guess, working in concert with the publishers to raise the price on ebooks and they were found guilty of this. They had to settle or, or maybe I don't think they were found guilty. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, they settled. They ended up having to, you know, pay out a couple hundred million dollars in the settlement. I remember this cause I wound up getting like $80 or something or a hundred dollars or something in, in ebook credits from yeah. Amazon. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't even like I bought a lot of iBook stuff. I think what happened was that Amazon and other people had argued that because of what Apple was doing, they had to sell things at higher rates because there had been some sort of collusion. I don't remember all the details. It's been a decade, but they, they got in trouble, um, uh, for, for price fixing. Um, and so I think that when that happened, I at least, uh, yeah, it, yeah, this was a, a price fixing thing. Um, the United States versus Apple was a U.S. antitrust case in which the court held that Apple Inc. conspired to raise the price of ebooks in violation of the Sherman Act. The suit filed in April of 2012 alleged that Apple Inc. and five book publishing companies conspired to raise and fix the prices for ebooks in violation of Section 1 of the Sherman Antitrust Act. The book publishers are Hatchet, uh, HarperCollins publishers, Macmillan, Penguin, and Simon and Schuster. Uh, ironically, Penguin uh, uh, and Simon & Schuster are now the same company uh, along with Random House, so it's big four, but uh, uh, only Apple proceeded to trial while the publisher defendants settled their claims. So Apple went to trial, the publishers settled, and then they were um, uh, found um, guilty and um, yeah, the, 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 the district court ruled that Apple was guilty of conspiring to raise retail prices of eBooks and scheduled a trial in 2014 to determine damages. And then Apple settled um, the, the the case out of court uh, while they were still appealing, and they basically, you know, had to had to pay four hundred and fifty million dollars. So I think when that happened, and that that you know was brought in twenty twelve, which was only a couple of years into the program, I don't know. My distinct sense, and I could be wrong, was that Apple kind of stopped caring about eBooks in any way whatsoever after they had to pay that amount of money for that. Huh. I, I, don't, I feel that's like that's not enough money to really, if Apple was driven to own a market, that amount of money would not deter them. I feel like there was well, a yeah, general except, lack of enthusiasm that kind of. Well, I think it was probably both, right? Like, I think that it's probably lack of enthusiasm. They weren't overtaking Kendall and that there wasn't a way for them to. Yeah. I think that, and I think that the, the course argument was that, the way like the government's argument was that they were trying to um own the market by 
working in collusion with the big publishers to raise prices. And that was what they were trying to do because they were basically like, okay, we don't want to get into this, this game with Amazon where Amazon sells things at lower prices than us and we can't win. So we're going to work across the board and convince publishers to sell everything at a certain price. And that will, um, uh, force, um, us to be on more even playing ground. And then we can use our ecosystem and our other things to try to, you know, get a bigger slice of the market. I think that's what the, that's what the, the government's argument was. Um, you're right. $450 million, I don't think would be enough to deter them. But I think at that point, like, Amazon's lead had probably only widened and like they would have had to do the same thing Amazon, which was doing, which was like selling stuff below, you know, cost as loss leaders. Although ironically, this is how it always happens. Amazon now has minimum prices set by publishers and, you know, their prices have generally gone up, um, than, than what they were a decade ago, which, I mean, I'm not opposed to let, you know, writers get paid, but, um, I think it was probably a combination of both them not already winning and then, okay, well, we tried and we got caught up in this multi-year, like, you know, antitrust case. So. All right. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I I got lost. (laughs) That's fine. That's I did fine. that. I did that thing where you did that thing where, like, I was talking and you just totally drunk. I started. Out. I started thinking about the next thing. Yep. Let's talk about the next thing. Oh, do we have to though? <laughs> okay. We don't have to. So no, yeah, we no, we do. No, no, no. Let's talk about let's talk about like your nerdy stuff, no, and then no, 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 then, no, no, we'll, no. then we'll get to Brittany. No, we'll, we'll, Brittany will be kind of a dessert. Oh man. Okay. I mean, I'm, we can talk about it. I don't. Whatever order you want to go in, I don't care. I'm setting a ten minute timer. Okay. Perfect. That's how long we have to talk about Britney Spears. Wonderful. All right. Starting now. Okay. Did you watch Framing Britney? I watched the first, like, I I think I got almost half an hour into it before I I didn't want to watch it anymore. Uh, It turned out, like, I I mentioned to Elle last night that uh, I was supposed to watch this for the sake of this show and, and, uh, I I did I wasn't going to push the point because I I I don't care about Britney. Um obviously. But and and she was she was like now we're, we're going to watch, you know, uh The Office and Frasier are totally our fallback Wonderful. shows. And then this morning she's like, "Well, I got some time. You should watch a little bit of this this thing so you're ready for your show." So we did just this morning sit down and watch it and she said she said, I'm sorry we didn't watch this last night. It's actually pretty interesting. Right? I'm glad I, that she said that. Thank you, Elle. It's it's moderately interesting. Tell me, give me the highlights. Okay, so this is um, a production that the New York Times um, is doing. They did a documentary on Hulu that is basically, it's called Framing Britney Spears. And by framing, they really mean how she's been framed in the media, like her positioning, not like framing for a crime. And it's kind of a look at her media image over the course of her career, which is now over two decades. And really over the last, um, nearly 15 years where she's been under this conservatorship, which uh, I think we've talked about on this show before. Uh, In 2008, courts ruled basically that she is 
you know, needs to be under some sort of conservatorship. And so her father has been in charge of her finances and um, like her medical care and other things. And why this did they rule that? Because she'd had like a, a series of, of very high profile, like public breakdowns. breakdowns like if people right. remember, she shaved her head. She attacked the paparazzi. Uh, there was an incident where she barricaded herself in her house with her kids when her kids were very young and she had to be admitted into a hospital. She was on a couple of 5150 stays. Um, her, in addition to that, she she was doing things that were, and I've got a link to it in uh, that, that I put down there, um, a, a Rolling Stone article that came out in um, uh, February of... Um, February 21st, 2008. So this is now 14 years ago called the tragedy of Britney Spears, um, from, um, uh, Vanessa Gregoriatis, who is a, a fantastic writer. And it's, it's the, it's actually really interesting to read. And I think it's interesting to read that while you watch the documentary, because it puts into context, in my opinion, why the conservatorship happened. Like she was, it's, it's unfortunate when we look back on it now, because, all of us, and I certainly was one of these people, um, treated it as like, if not just an outright joke as like a thing to gawk at and to just kind of like, we were all kind of, our mouths were agape at what was happening. Like she was dating members of the paparazzi. She was acting 100% erratically, like mentally unwell and in, in like in, in hindsight, like just really just unhinged behavior. And, um, you know, it was around the time that Anna Nicole Smith died and, and there'd been kind of a lot of, you know, this was like the height of the paparazzi kind of culture and celebrity culture thing. Um, and I, I think that there was this fear and I don't think it was unfounded, uh, from her family that she was going to die. Like, I really think that they thought that she was, she was on her way to either, you know, um, self-destructing in a way that would, that would lead with, with her death. Um, and, so she was put under this conservatorship, which is a really rare thing to happen. It usually happens with older people or other stuff, but she was put under this conservatorship and, um, where her father had been absent from her life for uh, up until that point, really, he had been very active, you know, kind of took control of things. And, um, within a couple of years, you know, she was able to perform again. She was, you know, putting out albums. She did her successful Vegas residency and things seemed to be on the up and up. And then a couple of years ago, when she was going to be announcing her second Vegas residency, things seemed to kind of go off the rails. She seemed to me, at least to me, to not be quite with it anymore. Um, they ended up canceling the residency by her saying that her father was sick and that she was going to be focusing on that. Then it turned out that she'd been in treatment at some facility in Los Angeles, um, that, that she shared like later on. And then it gets, in my opinion, this is where it gets, which is to me, all, all signs and, and like rumors were that maybe she was no longer being med compliant or, or whatever the case may be. And, and then it gets to where I feel a little bit uncomfortable, which is that she had fans who had like a podcast dedicated to her Instagram, who someone left them a voicemail message claiming to have worked as a paralegal for, um, her, uh, you know, uh, the, the lawyers who represented her conservatorship or whatever. Um, and basically said that she was desperate to get out of the conservatorship, that she was not in control of anything in her life, that she didn't want it that way. And that, you know, basically alleging that she's all but a prisoner, um, you know, in, and, and has no control over anything. 
um, she's now brought to the court. Like her, her father was temporarily removed as conservator and somebody else was kind of put in his place as like a temporary thing because he'd had some health problems. There was also an altercation that he had with uh, one of her sons. And I think that, that her ex-husband who we all made fun of K-Fed, but real talk, I think he's actually proven himself to be a pretty good father. And he's been the one consistent parental force in those kids' lives. Uh, I think filed a restraining order against the dad or some shit. Anyway, uh, the, the, the long and the short of it is, is that she has been petitioning the court to remove him as conservator and to put someone else in charge, um, of, of her finances and other things. And in, in, um, November, the court ruled that they were not going to make a decision at that time about his role as conservator, but they did appoint this bank to also be responsible for, um, her, her wealth, which at this point is now like over $60 million. Um, but, but she has all these fans now who are, have sort of this hashtag free Britney movement where they actively like want her out from under the conservatorship. And they actively like are, you know, saying that like, you know, she should be free and, and this and that. And this is where I'm conflicted. And this is where I, I would, this is kind of why I wanted to talk to you about it. I have no problem saying and even thinking like her father is probably not the right person to be in charge of things. I think he's probably should not be the conservator, especially if that's what she's saying. What I have a problem with though, is there seems to be this, like, I think kind of harmful message that her fans are positioning, which is that Brittany's completely okay. And is completely aware of everything that's happening and is this like prisoner. And I, I don't think that's true. I think that Brittany is really sick and something happened to her in her early twenties, which is not uncommon for people to have mental health breaks after and, sudden and, fame. Uh, no, no, like like people like are diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar uh, and, and other sure. things. Like it's, it's a very common thing. I think something like that happened. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to try to make any sort of diagnosis. It's none of my business. But reading that Vanessa Gregoriatis like article and rethinking back about what happened in that times, those are not the behaviors of somebody who is okay. And it it went beyond just drug use, right? Like, like some of the behaviors were just like completely out of control. And maybe you could, you could, you know, chalk some of it up to the fame thing, but some of it was seriously looking like, you know, somebody who something was happening to them. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not super okay with the idea that it's like, we think she's sending us hidden messages in her Instagram, which, okay, that's, that's insane. And, 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 and we don't like her father. And so we think that she should have control over everything when it's like, I don't know if Brittany's okay. I don't think we've ever talked about whether Brittany is okay or not. I don't think as a culture, like, what does it say when our pop princess might be like mentally unwell? Like, what does that mean? Right? Like, well, to be fair, um, f from CEOs to pop stars, like people in, uh, p famous people in general, uh, have, if not, uh, more, they have an equal amount of, of mental illness. And I, I don't feel like that's in any way disqualifying on its own. No, uh, the fact that she endangered children, or it mm -hmm. sounds like she may have endangered yes. children. That's, that's, that's a court matter for sure. 100%. Uh, like, I don't think her, her mental health is, uh, people are going to diagnose. We tried to diagnose Taylor Swift once. 
Like, I don't know if you remember that. It was actually the yeah. title of an episode. We're, yeah. We have no Goldwater rule. We can say. No, absolutely. <laughs> we can say she's not well. I think the only part of it, having seen what I've seen, which isn't much, the only part of it that really bugs me is that this is, oh, our time's up. This, I'll give you another minute. Um, <laughs> that this is a this is a topic that people uh, really feel the need to rally and protest and walk around on the street carrying signs. I feel like there are just more important things in the world. Yeah, no, I think there are more important things to the world. I think the reason people say this though is because she's this symbol, right? Like she's Britney Spears. They did. There were a couple quotes, the people talking about what she had meant to them, uh, right. that she's the one that made it OK to to grow up gay. She made it OK to come from the situations they came from. And I right. get that. It's important, like that kind of representation in the media. It can be very uh, meaningful to people and very valuable. Uh, and so I, I, I can understand being willing to walk around the street with a big sign for that. I'm a person who uh, doesn't even show up for protest for things I do care about. So it's right. not easy for me to fathom. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, look, <laughs> petitioning I, I for a pop star's well-being. Yeah, no, look, my my very unpopular opinion is I think the free Britney people are nuts. And I think that they're actively harmful. That said, I do think that the issues of the conservatorship and like whether her father should be in control of her money and whether there should be an outsider involved, I think are valid. So and who, who like, should be? I mean, I think that there should be like she she wanted the court appointed person who was her who was her temporary conservator. She'd wanted that to be permanent. Uh, okay. I think that would be fair, right? Yeah. Um, I, like I I do feel like there is something to be said, like because we don't know what the deals are, and like they interviewed somebody who was briefly tried to be her lawyer who tried to petition the court for something and the court, the judge told him, I've seen some like mental health analysis that you're not allowed to see. And that leads me to believe that there is something so severe that she is not capable of making the decision to hire counsel. She is not capable of doing that. The counter argument that people have, and, and I think this is a valid one to consider is, okay, if she's not capable of making those decisions, then why can she, you know, tour and do these shows I, that's not an invalid thing to say. And maybe she should never tour again. Maybe she should never perform again. That said, like, I also don't think, you know, people who have, who've seen her in interviews and have seen her perform and have seen her do other things. I'm just going to be real. She hasn't seemed completely with it. Like she hasn't seemed completely connected to, you know, like something still seemed off. <laughs> I, I'm trying to be really careful here. I don't want to like be offensive and I, I don't want to, I don't want somebody to discover this one day and try to be like, Oh, you're, you're calling her crazy. I don't know what the hell is wrong with her. Like I used to be somebody who like, I was desperate to figure out what, like what the fuck was wrong with Britney Spears. It's not my business, but I do feel deeply like something's not okay. And I become worried with the idea that we're like ignoring that fact just to focus on like, Oh, she's become this prisoner. And it's like, no, like courts typically don't get involved in these sorts of situations unless something is really, really wrong. And maybe I'm like just completely naive, but I, I don't believe that like the Los Angeles Superior Court would like actively collude, which is kind of what, what it seems like people are saying, like against her so that, so that her father of all people will be responsible. Also, there's been no like proof or, or any sort of allegation whatsoever that 
like her money has been mismanaged at all. Like if anything, yeah, and we're, we're done. We're done. We're, 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 we're out of time. I'm just saying. I wanted to talk about it though, because just because I think it's interesting to think about like, I don't know, we don't talk about this. Like we don't talk about the idea that like, what if one of our biggest like pop icons is like very sick? And yeah. what does that mean? What does it mean? And how do we deal with that? Speaking of well-being. Yes. Do you want to talk about ritual? I do want to talk about ritual. This is actually a perfect segue. I thought so too. This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You may be surprised to learn that typical multivitamins can contain sugars, synthetic fillers, artificial colorants, not to mention animal byproducts like sheep's wool and gelatin from hooves and hides. But Ritual isn't your typical multivitamin. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly formula is made with key nutrients in forms your body can actually use. No shady extras. All of Ritual's nutrients come in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. It's also non-GMO, gluten, and allergen-free. I love the convenience of Ritual. My vitamins show up at my doorstep every month, and all I have to do is pop two in the morning, and I know that I've filled my... Uh, nutrient gap in my diet. And I have many, many nutrient gaps in my diet. It's super, super convenient. Ritual multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. And you can start snooze or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll even refund your first order. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. And that's why Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash overtired to start your ritual today. Yay. Do you like how I, 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 I made an error in the sponsor read and had you say forms your body can actually use twice, like within a sentence of each other? I did. And I noticed that and I was like, okay, I've yeah. just, I've just read that twice. It's a little repetitive, but it's okay. Ritual is great though. Yeah. You won't be repetitive as long as you take your vitamins. <laughs> We're not allowed to make any health claims. I know. So. I was going to say, I was like, I'm not, I was actually about to add a disclaimer. Making asterisk, Christina is making no claims whatsoever. You may still be repetitive despite taking your vitamins, making no claims there. <laughs> you might still have OCD. Yeah. You, you might, you might still be ADHD and OCD and rambling. Yep. So I, uh, back when, they first announced the developer toolkit where Apple would ship you uh, a silicon uh, Mac mini yep. for, for developers to start testing, like right after they announced uh, the, the, the new chips. Um, I, I stupidly thought they were selling me a machine for $500 and I jumped on it. Uh, read the fine print after I had hit purchase. Oh no. The, the fine print that said, oh, and you'll have to send this back. Right. So basically, uh, for the last few months, I've been renting, uh, uh, a nice Mac mini mm -hmm. and if, for what I got out of it, it was not worth $500, but then Apple sent out their, the notice that it was going to be time to return it soon. And it came with uh, the promise of a $200 certificate that you yep. could use towards buying your own. And uh, I was like, okay, I, I recouped a little bit of, you know, cause I'm going to get, I'm going to get a Mac mini. I, I like mm -hmm. the new ones. Um, then the next morning they said, Hey, 
We got a lot of feedback about that $200 certificate, and we hear you, so we're making it $500, and you can keep the machine for a few more months. So I'm good. I'm happy. Yeah, no, I was thinking about you when that happened. I was like, oh, this will be this will make Brett happy. Yeah, I think that um they uh they got blowback because it wasn't necess- it wasn't just like the the amount of of the credit, although I think for some people that was part of it. It was the fact that they were like, "Oh yeah, you have to use this by May 31st." And people were like, "Yeah, you're going to announce new chips at WWDC. We know this. We know how you work. What the hell? Like you're telling me like I have to use this and I have to use this now." So, I think it's I think that was a really good um like, like mulligan on their part. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you because you're going to get $500 to put towards your new Mac mini. So you didn't lose anything. Like you basically got kind of an, in some ways, like Apple got a free loan from you, but you also got a free loan from them. So, uh, <laughs> that you'll be able to put towards getting a Mac mini. The only downside is like, if someone, like if you had never wanted to buy like a Mac mini ever, like if that weren't something that sure. would be, would want to buy for development, then I could see people being kind of annoyed, but you could also use that $500 towards another product. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy. I, uh, I have a newish MacBook pro that I, I enjoy. I don't, I don't use the butterfly keyboard on it. It's, it's right on the cusp of the, the keyboard change. But in general, as far as like a portable machine goes, I'm I'm perfectly happy with it. Um, and my minis, though, I have two minis that are 2012s that definitely need some uh, that that part of my hardware arsenal needs refreshing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. OK. Nice. So we got to the last 10 minutes of the show. Mm-hmm. We kept the Britney discussion to, I think, a reasonable amount of time. I think so. Are, you're not mad at me, are you? No, not 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 the slightest. Okay. And we I feel got... like I, I I feel like I want to talk to Elle about this now, but because uh, <laughs> she seems like more interested in this than you. But Elle is a no. very thoughtful person, and she would definitely like she's coming it as uh, coming to it as a complete outsider. She never yeah. cared about Britney. Like she doesn't do pop music at all. But she is a very thoughtful person, and when presented with all the facts in that uh, in that documentary she she could she could have a very uh a very uh coherent and thoughtful conversation with you i should arrange that yeah we should have a zoom we should have a britney zoom we should have a britney zoom that would be amazing actually i would live for that um okay um we now have like another 10 minutes we (laughs) i want to talk all about like brett stuff this is how this is in our quip document it's all brett stuff so (laughs) talk to me about some of there's this this list of things that i i keep adding to like if we run out of things to talk about here's stuff that that i find interesting that we can fill time with and this list has grown to uh about 15 items now yeah and some of it we've talked about like we talked about caravaner um fixed being fixed without oh, sip and then they broke it again i had to oh god the last the last beta update broke carabiner again i don't know how this is happening but i, uh, I am, um but did we talk about how better touch tool can do the hyper key now no uh in the last round of the... oh no maybe we did maybe we did so, yeah, so okay. better so, 
okay, so so better touch school can now be your hyper key. So you don't even need a uh, carabiner. I'm still using carabiner because at this point it's the more uh, stable Robust. option. Stable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I do believe that better touch school is going to get there. Uh, he's also putting out, uh, he keeps promising in, in a, a soon update that uh, he's going to support stream deck actions. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love Better Touch Tools so much. So much. Um, it's so good. Uh, he's fantastic. Everybody should give him his like, give him your money. Um, here's the cool thing, is you can Better Touch Tool has a full Apple script and URL handler setup, so you can create anything that Better Touch Tool can do. You can integrate with things like uh, uh, Keyboard Maestro or Bunch and. Uh, and tap into all of the kind of hardware integration that Better Touch Tool has from all kinds of other automation apps. That's awesome. I should probably link Better Touch Tool after all this, huh? Yeah, I think so. We should definitely <laughs> link Better Touch Tool. It's well, available it's so through uh, Setup, too. I was going to say, yeah, it is. And it is one of those things. He also makes a, a great window manager called um, Better, um, Better Snap, Snap Tool, yeah. which I like a lot. I'm a I'm a moon guy. It's it, better snap tool is great, but I'm I'm a, I'm in the moon ecosystem. All of my all of my window management is so moon based. I've never really had to uh to play around with like magnet or better better snap tool. Yeah, I've used moon as well. I've used a bunch of them. Um that's probably should be a topic at another point. We should talk about our window managers. Um <laughs> But like for that's a super nerdy topic, but because uh, I've I've thoughts on them, but because like tiling window managers are popular, but they're not quite a thing on Mac. Ooh, we can um, talk about X windows. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to uh, talk about X windows. No, we're not going to talk about X windows. I don't care. Um, <laughs> this is why I don't use Linux. To be totally honest, like I do not care. Could give a could care less about Wayland or X windows or any, yeah, don't care, but yeah. Um, the better touch tool is awesome. And it, yeah, it is on, um, the, uh, uh, up, but it, it's great. Also, uh, so you have here, uh, UHK model. So, uh, module. So this is for your ultimate hacking keyboard. Okay. Before we get to all of that, uh, I do want to mention that this episode is also brought to you by remote HQ with remote HQ. Your team no longer needs a physical office to meet in. Remote HQ empowers remote teams to work together as if they were in the same room. When you set up a meeting room, you can mix and match various apps on your screen to meet the needs of that particular meeting. Simultaneously browse online, take notes in a Google Doc, share Dropbox files, manage a Trello board, add files from your Google Drive, collaborate on a whiteboard, and more. And more. All while still being able to see and talk with your teammates. Remote HQ automatically captures session output so you have a searchable digital trail. Notes from every meeting are logged and saved to that event, and you can even do audio and video recording right within your meeting. Since the platform is browser-based and there's no need to download anything, Remote HQ is easily accessible to everyone on your team. There's even a mobile-friendly mode for attending meetings from your phone. And the, meeting, and the meeting rooms can be locked and used only by authenticated users, which is more secure than just using a password. So head to remotehq.co slash overtired for a 30-day free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the code overtired and get the next three months for free. 
thank you, Remote HQ, for your continued support of Overtired. Thank you, Remote HQ. Good stuff. Yes. So Laszlo from Better uh, from Ultimate Hacking Keyboard had contacted me and asked if I wanted to help beta test the version two of the Ultimate Hacking Keyboard. And yeah, I and said, you were like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that hasn't shown up yet. Uh, it is. He he does. He has verified that it's going to ship as soon as it's ready. But in the meantime, he shipped me all of the modules that everyone has been waiting for years for these to ship. Um, like they, he sends out updates about every month, kind of like on the progress, the sourcing, and the the uh, production of these, and all the problems they've run into, how they solved them. He's very transparent about the process. But the fact of the matter is people paid for them up front like multiple years ago. I don't even know how many years uh, and nobody's had them yet, but I got them. That's I have awesome. I have the the left hand. It gives you three extra keys by your thumb. And on the right hand, you can have a track point, a track pad or a track ball. And I have them all to test out. I'll admit that moving my mouse with my thumb is I'm just I'm not finding it to be so handy that I've broken the habit of just moving my hand over to my my magic trackpad but the key module the key cluster I could I could definitely stand to have that on both thumbs that's awesome I do I, so the if it's not configurable yet like the the agent that lets you configure all the keys of the keyboard doesn't yet let you customize the the mouse modules but if it did i would i would like to try turning like maybe the trackball or even the the track any of them turning them into scroll only so that while i'm uh writing or reading i have a thumb module that can just scroll the page that i would oh like. that would be nice so so literally so the only thing it could do would be to scroll like you couldn't use it for any other sort of pointing right. um activity just scrolling they they lack um currently the, he's working on this but they lack acceleration so you start moving it with your thumb and you want to get across the screen and you just kind of have to sit and wait for it to get there and then when right. it does your thumbs my thumb isn't accurate enough to like get it to stop right where i want it to so then i spend a lot of time like fiddling to get the mouse cursor where i want it so that's not to me uh usable but i do think that if he adds acceleration and when you move slower you have finer control i think it, it, they have potential yeah no that's cool yeah that's cool and um what was I going to say? So I'm looking here at your list too. So that's nice. So you have those modules. So that's good. Um, what other stuff have you been? Bunch. I've been spending so much time on Bunch. I did have a, I had a, a chat with Fletcher yesterday about NB Ultra Progress. Uh, that's, we're good. Like it's happening. Uh, we have a couple, we have a couple bugs that are only affecting like three out of over a thousand beta testers, but they're, they're, um, they bother Fletcher enough that he, we can't move forward with release until we solve these bugs. So they're edge cases, but, but that's where development of that is at. So in the meantime, I have been working on bunch and I'm really thinking about taking it commercial. I think you should. The, it, I put out a beta release 
with all of these changes, um, everything from like parallel X. When was the last time we talked about Bunch? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't get super in depth with it. Did, so. did I talk about front matter? Because the beta of Bunch, the first version, uh, it introduced front matter, which is like a term from uh, like Jekyll blogging where you have YAML data mm -hmm. at the top of your markdown file. So Bunch can use YAML style uh, header data to do things like schedule, uh, opening and closing. And it can, uh, you can say, you can have a close after. So if you open a bunch, it can automatically close the bunch after a set period of time, all with natural right. language. Um, the, 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 this was how you wound up like not recording stuff, right? When, when bunch, um, <laughs> messed up and, yeah, uh, when I like, was still testing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes, I have had a, a couple of a couple of bunches that I forgot to take a a schedule key out of that I had been testing that have suddenly launched or quit uh, inappropriately, but that was my own fault. Um, uh, speaking of updates, real quickly, have you seen the new Mac updater? No. So Mac updater 2.0 came out um, a, a couple weeks ago. I paid for it uh, because I, I really like it. And the interface is has received kind of an uptick and it has some other um, newer features too. Um, and he had added, you know, a, um, a CLI for me, which I definitely <laughs> appreciated. And I think that that's got some new uh, features too. I'm going to add that um, so in uh, the list. For me, like... I, I, I own the previous version of Mac updater. It, it's solid. Um, if anyone doesn't know, it basically goes through all of the sparkle feeds on all of your apps and tells you, right. What, but also what GitHub needs. does it. Yep. Yeah. It goes through, it goes through brew, uh, it goes through, you know, GitHub, like anything that's kind of linked there. Like if they have a system, like it, it, it's, um, integrated with, with, uh, homebrew, which is one of the reasons I've liked it. Sure. So okay. that makes sense. I, I, I tend to put off my homebrew updates until, <laughs> until they become massive and then half a day gets spent updating, uh, homebrew. No, totally. Well, what's nice about it is that it'll do it for your casks and casks and brew parlances, like your, your binary apps. So not like your utilities, but, um, like your actual applications, if you've installed them that way. And so nice. it can, okay. it can check them that way. So, yeah. So it was really nice. And, and there is a, a CLI, if you want to run stuff that way, you can ignore stuff like you, like I have things set up, like to ignore, like setup apps, um, and, and stuff like that, or, or like, it'll show you on a Mac app store app and let you like launch that. Um, it'll show you like, if there, if you need to do an upgrade or an update, if it will show you if something needs to be manually upgraded or not, like it, it's good stuff. Nice. Mac update the website, uh, which has kind of fallen out of, uh, Vogue, yes. but they used to have their own desktop app that did a pretty good job did. of updating. Stuff. It did. And it, it did. And, and then it ended up, I think, at least in my experience, it consumed a lot of resources, but the bigger thing was it cost a lot of money. Um, and that was actually how I found Mac updater because there hadn't been really any updates on Mac update in a while. Like the, the database was still updated, but like the rest of the stuff I was like, I don't, are they doing okay? Like they hadn't been active on their blogs, their deals. Like there's just stuff. And I'm like, I, you know, I get, get, get like the sense that things weren't doing super well and which is a shame, but I was like, okay, 
And then I found Mac Updater and I was like, oh, um, I like this. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, 35 bucks or whatever. Um, if, if you want the pro edition, it's $15 for the single um, use. Um, if you just want to use it as a scanner, it's free. I like it a lot. Uh, he's He's been very good on his you know, uh, feature support. And like I said, adding the CLI thing was not even something I, I expected. And that was really nice. So, what so is the, what's the benefit of the CLI over just using like brew update? Because you can do it for everything. So like brew update would obviously be great for anything I install through brew, but any of my other apps, okay. like I can just, so I can just from the command line initiate an update. Okay. I mean, there are a lot of things I like to do from the command line, but I would want my, uh, mass updates of my computer to have more interactivity and that gets to be a pain on the command line. So I no, personally I would like the GUI for that. Yeah, no. And that's the thing you can do both. Right. So, and it was, for me, it was just one of those things. I was like, sometimes I just want it. Like not that I replace it. I use <laughs> the GUI in those cases. I just wanted it. I just like as a nice option. I didn't expect that to actually be, you know, a, uh, thing that would be added into it. Um, but that was, that was added in, in, in the last, uh, like six months ago, I think. But, um, yeah, so, so the 2.0 is out now. Um, it's nice. Um, it's, it's a one-time purchase. So he's not doing subscriptions. Uh, I don't know how frequently he's planning on adding stuff, but it'd been a couple of years since he released the first Mac update, which is still getting, like, if you had the Mac updater, like that'll still get, you know, a certain, you know, like, updates and when it'll still work. It's just not going to get any of the new features. Yeah. But, uh, but, but I, um, I upgraded, I like supporting devs. He also makes like the, uh, a couple of other utilities like the, like, I think how I might've heard of him first was the uninstall PKG, um, utility that he had, um, which, which is free. And, um, anyway, so yeah, that's just kind of an update, uh, on that. Uh, I was looking through your list too, we are running out of time. We've gone over, but uh, Unite, uh, Coherence X, and You Missing Fluid. I miss Fluid as well. I really do. Uh, those those apps are what I kind of have to use so in I, its place. But I, I like I like Unite and Coherence. They are I do too. They're they're solid apps, and the difference between them is one is uh, WebKit, Chromium one based, is and one right. is uh, WebKit. And yep. uh, Unite makes nice, small, fast apps coherence yeah. lets you in let, lets you include like your uh chrome plugins yep in a single site browser and yeah. both uh, of them uh, yeah we probably should have started with this that's what this really is is this is a way to create single size browsers which are similar but not the same as progressive web apps so if you want just like um a window you know for, for a, a web interface thing like if you want you know gmail or, or whatever they, with no chrome that's and that you can for. isolate from tracking. Like if you exactly. want to completely partition off your Facebook browsing, uh, it's a way to to isolate and not share Facebook with your other web browsing, uh, right. which you can also do with like Firefox containers or incognito yes. mode and stuff like that. But it it is nice. And the cool thing about a single site browser is I can have like a Facebook browser that I can have a bunch that opens and closes social media apps. So I can have all my social media apps close after an hour, you know, and, and I can control them separately. Uh, it makes it, it gives me added control over my social media habits. But um, 
I do miss fluid allowed user scripts. Yeah, that's what I loved about it. Yeah. I, user scripts aren't really a thing anymore, are they? No, not really, but but it was nice. And so like if you had a Grease Monkey script or something, like this was really useful for things like Gmail or for other stuff. I used to have one that I used for notifications and this was back when uh, Growl was a thing. Right. I used to have a Trello fluid app that I had for years where I had a user script set up that would give me growl notifications when a card was changed. Yeah. And, um, Trello did eventually release a desktop app. My SSB with fluid was better. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case cause I don't use Trello anymore. And I think they've, they've changed owners like one or two times since then. But, um, that, that, it, but my setup that I'd used for years was better than their desktop app to be totally honest because I had like the user scripting set up and I had like it, you know, with the, with the growl notifications. Um, and, and I also had, you know, like, um, I guess what, what's the thing like badges, like to show right. unread stuff or whatever. So yeah, yeah. User scripts aren't really a thing anymore, but, but I did, I did like fluid a lot and, and, uh, Todd is really, uh, really nice guy. Yeah. Um, Todd Ditchendorf. That's right. What's whatever happened to him? I don't know. What is he doing now? Didn't he put out like a diagrams app too? He like, might have. Like a shape. I think it was called Shapes. Yeah, that's right. Shapes app. Yeah. Who did, uh, who, who did, wait, who did Retro Batch? Was that? Oh, now I've forgotten. Um, have you seen Retro Batch? The name is really familiar. Um, it's, uh, like, um, oh no, oh, that no. was oh, Gus yeah, yeah, Mueller yeah, that yeah, did Gus. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Retro Bash. Yeah, I know this. Yeah. Retro Bash is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he finally put out a stable release. I've been on it since the beta. It's a way, to, it's a node based, uh, way to map out image, uh, manipulation automation. So you mm -hmm. get like this page, this blank page, and you can drag nodes onto it and connect them in different ways and have them branch off. And it basically creates a pipeline. So like for me, I, I have a template that creates a, uh, a header image for one of my blog posts at a certain size. Then I drop it into retro batch and it creates the, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, two X and one X versions. It creates the, um, all the open graph tags. And it basically, I can drag one image onto it and get a full, like ready to go open graph blog posts out of it. And it, yeah. I love retro batch. Yeah, no, I like it too. Um, and I love acorn. Like acorn is one of my favorite apps. Yeah. Gus is good. Um, Gus is great. Like, so affinity apps have replaced acorn for me. Acorn, like there was a point in my life where I couldn't get along without Photoshop. Like I ran an mm -hmm. ad, ad agency. I was steeped in the, the the professional graphic design world and uh photoshop and illustrator you couldn't work without uh, totally but then once i kind of moved away from that was doing mostly my own work acorn you could launch and and export a jpeg and acorn in the time it took photoshop to finish bouncing in the dock yep and so i use acorn all the time affinity Same. is not as fast as acorn by any no means. and no it, i mean look for for serious editing i use affinity for everything too i mean although i do still have like a photoshop uh thing that work pays for and that i use for work purposes and because you need it sometimes sure. but um and like you get the creative suite so like if i need you know we edit in premiere so might as well get all of it sure but if i'm doing quick editing i still use acorn just because yeah. it's so much faster yep 
Yep. Acorn. I'm adding acorn and retrobats to the show notes. Hell we have yeah. good show notes. There's only we a couple do have lines good show about Britney Spears. Um, but but the but the Vanessa Gregoriatis like article is really good from 2008. It's really a good read in context now. I think anyway. We we should probably stop now, but I do want to. I don't have a long discussion to have about this, so I'll just mention. You ever use Homebridge? Uh no. Uh. So this, 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 this was the thing like, that'll like be your home kit bridge with the other right. stuff. Yeah. yeah. It, it lets all my home kit devices show up on my Alexa and it lets yes. all my Indigo devices show up on home bridge. Yes. And, uh, I mean on home kit so yes. I can, I can control my old fashioned Indigo automation from the home app. And it used to be this, this like node application you had to run, uh, from the command line and run as a, a daemon in the background and it was, uh, you had to be a nerd to use it. Mm -hmm. um, now, it's still a node application, but it has this whole web interface with status updates and you can install plugins uh, through a web, uh, uh, like there's a, a, a plugin installer. And in the case of the newer plugins, you don't even have to edit the JSON config file. It's super nice now. I, I had Very let nice. it go for a while. I had I had just given up on integrating all of my home automation stuff, but I'm back to it and I'm loving Homebridge. Nice. Hey, we and can check is, a few things off my list. We can, we can. And so, yeah, so this is uh, Homebridge. This is uh, the uh, Northern Man 54, Homebridge Alexa. I Are you looking stuff up on the web? I was trying to, I was trying to find like what, where the main like project is for Homebridge. I, it'll be in my recent, my recent, oh man, I'll, <laughs> that's funny. In my, uh, my browser history, all of my Homebridge links are, uh, local. Yeah. My, from my local, uh, Mac mini. Yeah. It's, um, it, they have a GitHub. There's a Homebridge user for GitHub. So if you go to Homebridge slash Homebridge. Brilliant. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. You can run it on a Raspberry Pi. Excellent. Excellent. I don't do any of the home automation stuff, but I sometimes think about it. So and if I ever do, I'm always like, yep, that's what I would use. I would use Homebridge because trying to get everything on one platform or another is a nightmare. So you know what you, know what you can automate? What was that? Bedtime. Ooh, good call. Good call. All right. So I think, I think it's a, it's time for us to uh, try to get some sleep. Hopefully you can get your full eight, eight and a half hours. Let's go for eight and a half. Eight and a half. I like it. That's right. what she said. <laughs> oh. That's at least a half inch more than I have. <sighs> All right. <laughs> Get some sleep, Brett. Get some sleep, Christina. The system is going down now.